Let us pray. Just as we've read God's word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word that it's living, it's active, it's true. And we thank you for the gospel that we just read. Not only the gospel, John, but the gospel, the good news. Father, you love the world so much that you gave your one and only son. That whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Father, open our hearts our minds to understand your word and to see Jesus very clearly as we sang so clearly today. It's all about Jesus, his life, your ministry, Jesus, and your death on the cross and your resurrection. Give me your words that I would say only what you want, nothing else. Bring encouragement, comfort, conviction, healing. Jesus, open our eyes to see you clearly. The way you did those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, open our eyes to see you. And we ask these things in your precious name, Jesus. Amen and amen. You all may be seated. Quick question as we dive into this sermon series, it's what is the gospel? Who here likes to receive presents, likes to give gifts? Who likes to give gifts? Okay, most of us do. Who likes to give gifts? I mean, a lot of us do. In fact, as you guys know, the quote in Acts Jesus said, it is more blessed to what? To give than it is to receive. And to be honest, that's so true. I love giving gifts to our kids. I love it. Now, I love receiving presents too. I especially love like free coffee and free tacos. So, hey, just an invite out there, okay? But we love giving gifts. If you follow North American football, the NFL, two Monday nights ago, On a Monday night football game, a young man, his name is Damar Hill. He plays football for the Buffalo Bills. Defense, a receiver caught the pass. This young man right here tackled him. They both fall to the ground. Not a big hit, not a severe hit, just a normal tackle. Damar gets up. He's 24 years old. He gets up. He staggers. He falls down. Wham! The medical staff for the Buffalo Bills run to his aid. He's had a heart attack, cardiac arrest. And they literally bring him back to life right there on that field. And during that whole time, I don't know how long it took. This is the quarterback right there. Just the players from both teams are crying, are nervous. You can see it, are concerned, are praying. And at one point in time, both teams gather in a circle and pray for this young man. Damar Hill. He's resuscitated. He's rushed to the hospital. He's put in an induced coma. They induce him into a coma. He's in critical condition. I believe if I have my dates right, Thursday, three days later, he wakes up. Guess what his first question was? Did we win the game? Friday, he Zoom talks to his team. I think last week he was then taken back to Buffalo because they were playing in Cincinnati. And the doctors say he's probably going to recover completely. Amazing. Damar loves Jesus. Has a powerful testimony. Chris, you might put in the picture of Damar up there. You know, I wonder, the cross is there. A very devout Christian. In the past two years, since he's been in the NFL, he's had this small, tiny charity in his hometown for needy children. 
And then a GoFundMe for this year, just this past year, his goal was to raise $2,500. That's tiny. I mean, no, for me, 2500 bucks, man, that's a lot. But for like a charity or a ministry or something, 2500 bucks, you know, golly, Bill, he could probably write that check easily for himself because he makes lots of money. All of his teammates and stuff, you know, $2,500 just to serve a minister to needy children in his hometown. Something that this young man wanted to do to serve and to give back. After his incident on the field, guess how much money that GoFundMe had raised within days? Over $6 million. Over $6 million. Why? Was it because of his hardcore, strong Christian beliefs? Was it because he was miraculously resuscitated by the medical staff and by God's grace and mercy? We we will never know why, what motivated those who gave. But hundreds, if not thousands of people gave, famous people gave, because word went around. Word got out of what God has been doing in this young man's life, how he was literally physically saved on that football field two two weeks ago. Last week when I was sick, and thanks for praying, I'm all better now. I had to take a knee for one one day. But last week when we watched the Titans lose to the Jaguars, before the game, both teams gathered in a huge circle and prayed, which is something we really don't see in our society anymore. And Margie asked, Daddy, what are they doing? I said, well, they're praying. Why? Because we had never seen that before in a football game. And it's because of this testimony here. Why did so many people give? We'll never know the reason for why they gave to that little GoFundMe account for that small little charity that DeMar Hill set up. But we do know the reason why the greatest gift has ever been given in the history of the universe. John chapter 3. Starting in verse 14. Open your Bibles, please, or turn your smartphones back on. It's the passage that Silas just read. read. But John chapter 3 and 14 through 18, and I'm just going to read verse 1 and 2 real quick, just a little bit of the context. Jesus has already started his ministry. Jesus has been anointed. He was baptized, anointed by the Holy Spirit. He went out to the desert where he fasted for 40 days. He was tempted by the evil one and he resisted those temptations and he came back into Galilee and began to preach and teach and heal and thousands of people flocked to him. He already began to call out his disciples to follow him. So Jesus is becoming extremely famous, very well known. Signs, wonders, preaching and teaching, setting the captives free. And he was also developing and creating enemies, the religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, the Sadducees. And one of those religious leaders, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus at night right here in verse 1. Chapter 3, verse 1, where he says, There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. He wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was part of the Sanhedrin, who would eventually, the Sanhedrin, would judge Jesus and condemn him to death. But if you read the Gospels, you will see that Nicodemus defended Jesus. And by church tradition, Nicodemus came to know Jesus and was one of his disciples, but he wasn't here. And so he came to Jesus. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, 
We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs that you do unless God were with him. And then they get into this huge conversation. And we're going to jump over to verse 14. And Jesus, in this conversation, as Jesus sees Nicodemus' true need, and as Jesus goes to the heart of the issue for Nicodemus, and as they're talking about born again and the spirit and salvation, and how does that happen and what is God doing? Jesus then talks right here in verse 14. He says, just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the son of man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave, he what? He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now look at these two verses here. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Anyone, say anyone, anyone who believes in him is not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only son of God. This month, we're talking about what is the gospel. Last week, it was for God so loved the world. Today, it's he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and only son to that world. And we're going to focus on the uniqueness of Jesus. He gave his only son. And we could go on and on and on about this whole passage about God's love. And it's agape love, which is a 100% commitment for the well-being of another. I keep hitting on that because today in our day and age, especially in English, we throw the word love around for everything. I love football. I love ice cream. I love my wife. I love Jesus. I love Tennessee. I love Mexico. All of those loves can mean different things. And yet so much in our culture today, love is a feeling. It's a sentiment. But it is so much more than that. And our culture is so confused, all of us thinking that if you don't support me, you don't love me. That's just not true. True love requires incredible sacrifice. True love is based in holiness and purity and humility and truth. True love, agape love, flows from the heart of the Father. And action is required. Love compels us to do. And this is who God is. For God so loved the world, he gave. Out of his love, which is holy and good and perfect, he gives. There are three things today that I want to focus on about how God gave us his son. There are three. Say three. Man, we can count. We said one. We said three. What goes in the middle? Four, right? There are three things, three ways, just that we're going to focus on today of how God gave us his son. The first one is the life of Jesus. The second one is the ministry of Jesus. And the third one is the passion of Jesus. And I'm not talking about romance. When I mean passion, I'm talking about his death and resurrection. Three things 
and how God demonstrates and how he gave his son. Okay, the first one, the life of Jesus. Let's just think about Jesus' life for all eternity. Jesus always has been. Jesus always will be. He is the second person of the Trinity. God has always existed. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God was never lonely. He didn't create this universe because he was lonely. God was in perfect unity and relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus sat upon the throne before creation and before the foundation of anything ever created. Seen and unseen. And Jesus was in perfect unity with the Father and Holy Spirit forever. For all time. And perfect holiness, unity, love, perfection, goodness. There was no evil. There was no sin. There was nothing wicked, nothing immoral. There weren't even the angels yet. It was the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And perfect unity and goodness. And when the Father created all things through the Son and the power and presence of Holy Spirit, Jesus knew, the Son of God knew before anything was even created, that once they started in the beginning, remember on January 1st, in the beginning was the Word. Jesus knew, and he longed for it, that when they created all of creation, and when they created man and woman in their image, in God's image, he knew exactly what they would do. And what is that? They would sin. Sin was plan A in God's creation. Jesus coming on this earth was not plan B. He knew exactly what was going to happen. And before creation even happened, Jesus, it says in Philippians, that he voluntarily, Jesus willingly, Even though he was God, he didn't hold on to it and say, Father, I'm not going down. You can't make me. Jesus willingly disrobed himself to become a human, to become a man. He voluntarily did it. Why? Because he loves the Father and he wants to bring great glory to the Father. It's all about God's glory. When God created everything and when Adam and Eve sinned, the Father didn't go, Oh, Holy Spirit. Jesus, get over here. We got a fark before. We got to play rock, paper, scissors. See who's got to go down there and die on that cross. Angels, y'all are the witnesses. He didn't do that. Jesus knew it was going to happen. And he tells his father, I will go. Out of love for you, father, I will go. So that's where Jesus starts. And he becomes a human. He becomes an embryo in his mother's womb, created as a human, just like you, just like me. Even before he was born, there was um, scandal. Mary is visited by the angel Gabriel, where the angel says that she'll be pregnant By the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit and Mary did not have sexual relationship. It's a miraculous thing. Inception. And Mary is now pregnant with Jesus. No one knows but her. She finds out that her relative Elizabeth is six months into her pregnancy. So she travels 
to visit her relative. And Elizabeth is going to have John, who becomes John the Baptist. Mary is there for four or five months. She's there. There's no internet. There's no phone. There's no Snapchat or TikTok or any of that. So how big is Mary's belly after she returns home? She's six months pregnant. Anybody going to believe that the Holy Spirit, that that's a miraculous conception by the Holy Spirit? Who's going to believe that? No one. So there's scandal over Jesus even before he's born. Oh, Mary, ooh, she had some fling with some dude up there when she went to visit her relative. Maybe she was raped by a Roman soldier. Or maybe she and Joseph were fooling around and that's why she left early. Jesus was considered an illegitimate child. Have you ever thought of that? He's a baby before he's even two and a half, three years old. And they have to flee to Egypt because Herod wants to kill him. Jesus is a refugee. He's a foreigner fleeing, looking for political asylum in Egypt before he's even three years old. Jesus grew up under, he humbles himself under the leadership of Joseph and Mary. They have several more kids. Jesus is the oldest of at least six siblings. You think those other siblings didn't make fun of him for not having the same daddy? What about the other kids in the neighborhood as they grow up? Do you think that Jesus was singled out because he was the different one? Jesus was the goody two-shoes because, see, Jesus never sinned. And we know what it's like in school when there's that perfect kid in school who's the goody two-shoes, who never gets in trouble, always has the right answer. And yet there's Jesus. Jesus, when he's 12 years old, is in the temple. His parents left him there in Jerusalem, and there he is in the temple. He's teaching the religious leaders. He's asking questions, and they marvel at his wisdom, just as a 12-year-old. Jesus, being the Son of God, he knows everything, and yet he's just a little 12-year-old boy. I can imagine as he's asking questions with some of these Pharisees and religious leaders, he knows in his heart, yep, 20-something years from now, they're going to crucify me. And these very ones I'm teaching right now are going to be the ones who will reject me and condemn me to death. And yet he's still there as a 12-year-old loving them. His parents come back, they don't even understand. And they take him back up to Nazareth. And it says that he submitted, he grew in stature before man and before the Lord. He humbled himself to be under the shepherding of his mother and his father. Jesus was a human, just like you, just like me in every way. He was hungry, he was tired, he was thirsty. And we see that as an adult. He was tempted and tried in every way. According to tradition, Joseph, his earthly father, died when Jesus was an old teenager, young adult. Guess who becomes the breadwinner? Jesus is the oldest sibling. He is a carpenter. He was a carpenter's son. He grew up being trained to be a carpenter, and that was his work for years before his ministry. Jesus knows what it's like to sweat. He knows what it's like to have friends. He knows what it's like to have enemies. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to be exhausted and thirsty and hungry. He knows what it's like to have conflict in the family. He knows what it's like to experience loss. The life of Jesus is one of the greatest ways 
that God has given us. God the Father has given us Jesus. You see, there's a passage in Hebrews chapter 2. And if you want to open your Bible, you can. Hebrews is at the very back of the, of the scriptures. But Hebrews chapter 2, and it'll be on your screen. Verses 17 and 18. And this is one of the most powerful verses that I have ever found that describe who Jesus is. But look at what it says. Therefore, he had to be like his brothers and sisters in every way. Not in some ways. In every way. Jesus is like you and like me in every way. So that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus was created as a man, as a human, just like you and just like me. And I know what you're thinking and saying. I say it too. Yeah, but he still was the son of God. Yeah, but he still was from all eternity. Yeah, but he still kind of had that extra juice because he's he's eternal. Well, that's part of the mystery of the incarnation of the second person of the Trinity when he became a human. And this isn't the only passage in scripture that talks about he had to be made like us in every way so that he could be a faithful, merciful high priest. You see, back during Jesus' day, the high priest would only be able to go into the Holy of Holies just once a year. And that was God's presence And he would represent all of God's people. And there was that distance of, well, you know, the high priest is in God's presence. But, you know, I'm this lowly little person from the tribe of Benjamin. I can't even go into the temple. And yet the great high priest, Jesus Christ, was made just like you and just like me. He was tempted and tried in every way so that he does get it. He does understand. He knows what it's like to walk this earth as a human. That's the first way that God has given us his son, the life of Jesus. The second one is the ministry of Jesus. If you've read the Gospels, you know Jesus came to preach good news, good news to the poor. He came to proclaim God's good news, and the good news is himself. He came to start and establish God's kingdom and to start the new covenant. Jesus came to set the captives free and to open blind eyes and deaf ears, to make the lame walk and to raise people from the dead. He's come to adopt us as sons and daughters of his father. Jesus is the way. Now, when Jesus is out ministering and thousands of people were flocking to him, John the Baptist had his ministry too. And John had thousands of people following him. But when Jesus came onto the scene, everyone flocked to Jesus. Jesus became the cool church. And John's ministry started to go down. And John's own disciples and the Pharisees, they asked John about it. And John's like, hey, I'm just the, I'm the best friend of the bridegroom. I'm not even worthy to untie the sandals of his, on his feet. I must decrease, he must increase. And John rejoiced at the fact that people were flocking to Jesus. John is then arrested and he's in prison. And just like any other human, we all have our doubts. We all have our dark moments. We all go through our valleys. We all have our questions. And John sent some of his own disciples to Jesus and to ask him, are you the one? 
Are you really the Christ? Or is there someone else? And right here in Matthew chapter 11, 4 through 6, this is Jesus' response. And again, you can look up Matthew 11, 4 through 6. But this is how Jesus replied to John. Jesus replied and said to him, go and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor are told the good news. And blessed is the one who isn't offended by me. You see, Jesus came to set the captives free. He's come to set people free from sin and from bondage of sin. He has come to set us free to be adopted as sons and daughters. Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled back to the Father. Jesus is still doing his ministry today through his church. Where we're to proclaim liberty. Not liberation theology, but liberty from sin and death and bondage. Where we have the blessed hope that we pray for the sick and they're healed. We pray for reconciliation and restoration of people and of families and of friends, of prodigals to return home. Why do we do that? It's because of the blessed hope that we have in Jesus because Jesus still moves today. Am I making sense? Well, I'm putting everybody to sleep. The ministry of Jesus is happening today through the power and presence of his spirit, which is Holy Spirit living in us. The third way, say three, is the passion of Jesus. And when I mean passion of Jesus, I'm talking about his death and resurrection. His best friends denied him. One of his followers betrayed him. All of his disciples abandoned him. He was falsely accused, beaten, whipped, spit upon. You guys know the story, and we're roaring up here to Easter, which we call Resurrection Sunday, very quickly. It'll be here before you know it. There's two verses I want us to focus on because this talks about what happens with Jesus on the cross. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. 1 Peter 2, 24. Look at what Peter says. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Jesus came to reveal the Father, and Jesus came to die on the cross for our sins. Look at what that verse says. He bore our sins in his body. Think about that. All of your sins all of my sins, all the sins of the world, Jesus took upon his body. If we think his physical suffering on the cross during his trial and the beatings and the floggings and having the nails go through his arms and through his feet, the crown of thorns on his head, that pales in comparison to the spiritual, emotional, mental anguish that he suffered with the sins of the world being cast upon his body, and in his body. Think about that for a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul says it like this, and he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about God the Father. He, being God, made the one who did not know sin 
to be sin for us. Another way of translating that passage is that Jesus became sin. Think about your worst sin day. The shame, the guilt, the darkness, the embarrassment, the filth. And God looks at you and he still loves you and he longs to embrace you and he calls you out to be son and daughter and he can do that because he cast all of your and my nasty, wretched sin upon Jesus and he made Jesus that sin, that sin sacrifice for you and for me because he loves you. And the only human that has ever lived, Jesus from Nazareth, the only one that never sinned is now treated as the only one who has and he paid the price and punishment for it all because he loves you. And Jesus loves you. And Jesus willingly allowed himself to be beaten, broken, despised, rejected, and to become sin on that cross for you and for me. That is how much Jesus loves you. Meditate on those verses. Look at what Paul is saying. He made the one who did not know sin, and Jesus was sinless, perfect, to become sin for us so that we might become his righteousness. If you bounce back to 1 Peter, he bore our sins in his body so that having died to sin, we might live to righteousness. By his wounds, you're healed. I want to invite the worship team to come forward. And I only have one question for today. How is Holy Spirit speaking to you this morning? It's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. God gave us his one and only son. The uniqueness of Jesus is amazing. And I pray that you can stand in awe of him today. Let us stand. Let us worship. Pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much, Jesus, for your goodness, for how unique you are. You are the one and only son. your life, your ministry, your passion. Jesus, when we walk out of this building today, may we see how great and glorious and wonderful you are. And may we just bow at your feet and in worship and in praise. Father, for those of us who are holding on to excuses, holding on to sin, holding on to bitterness or resentment or anger or even fear of being hurt again. May they see that, you, Jesus, you've become like us in every way. You've shared our flesh and blood in every way. And your wounds heal us, save us, redeem us. May we come to your feet in worship and praise. It's your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. If you want or need prayer, a couple of us will be over here at the next steps. We'd love to pray with you.